0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Lutheran Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are glad that you are here. At Christ Church, we believe that God is alive in Holy Scripture, inspiring, challenging, and guiding us today. As we journey through the Bible together, we bring our hopes, our pain, our questions, and our doubts, trusting Jesus to meet us here full of grace. Christ Lutheran Church is a special place of healing. May the Word of God bless you today. So, throughout uh, high school and some of college, my job was as a lifeguard at the YMCA pool. I got my lifeguard certificate as soon as I could, probably 14, 13, no, ninth grade, so uh, basically just under the wire. I really wanted to be a lifeguard. And it was some gainful employment all through, all through high school and into college. We actually had two YMCAs in Thomasville, Georgia, where I grew up. We actually had three, but two of them had pools. Uh, the, the one downtown had an in, indoor pool uh, so that was great year round, I always had a job year round, the lap swim and water aerobics classes and that, all of those kinds of things. In fact, one winter, I was called on to lifeguard a baptism at the indoor YMCA pool. Uh, a church had rented the whole space and that was the most singing and dancing I had ever seen around the swimming pool. Uh, and uh, folks were dressed in their Sunday best on into the water where there were multiple baptisms that day. Truly an amazing day and, and, an, and a day where I felt very underdressed in just my red swim shorts. I wish I had known the occasion uh, that I was, was, was uh, called on to lifeguard. There was also this big outdoor pool at the, the other YMCA. It actually was more of like a, a kind of a, a complex of pools. There were, there were two pools and, and there were two big water slides and at one pool was the Olympic sized pool where the swim team swam with the lanes and uh, but then there was um, a, a splash pad, a kid area, a kid pool on the other side but both of them had these big, um, these big, uh, water slides that were there, and actually, the summer that Ellen and I met, I was lifeguarding, and she was working at the front desk, uh, taking taking IDs for people coming in. And so we—that's that's some of our first encounters were there at the Y pool. And at summertime, Ellen would tell you the place would get slammed. It was basically like childcare for a lot of folks. They would bring their kids or, or the kids would just show up. They'd spend the whole day there. Uh, and from the early morning, I was there. Early in the morning, I taught swim lessons. Uh, and then later, it, throughout the day, of course, lunchtime, big rush. Uh, and then in the evening, folks were there until we had to literally ask them to leave. You could imagine, though, just looking at a swimming pool for hours on end. Some of those days could be pretty long. They could be pretty boring. And so luckily we had a team of, of, uh, of lifeguards for the summer lifeguard season. Um, and so every 15 minutes we would rotate from one station to the next just to kind of keep us focused and keep us on our toes, uh, give us some, something else to look at, some other people to watch so we don't become too complacent just staring at the same area for for hours on end. Because if you got complacent as a lifeguard, then when someone is really in trouble, you you might not be aware, because when someone is in trouble in the water, it doesn't look like somebody who is in trouble in the water on television or in the movies. Someone who is drowning actually doesn't usually call out for help. They, they, they don't splash very much. They don't make a scene because all of their energy, all of their focus is just on trying to stay above water. What we say is that drowning is silent. Drowning is silent. And so if a lifeguard is not paying attention, if not constantly scanning both above the water and below the surface, watching for the subtle signs of distress, then you can miss someone who is drowning entirely. So when folks would come to the pool, parents would often leave their kids in care of the the lifeguards, and they would go and nap, or they would read, they would chat with their friends. Once I had a toddler that I had my eyes on for most of the afternoon because this was a situation with their, their parents. They weren't not alert, but they weren't as alert as as I was. And so I watched this toddler toddle along and toddle right into the deep end of the pool. He did not make a sound. He just slipped right in and under. His eyes got big as pancakes. His feet were churning under the water, but he was not splashing. He did not make a peep. Luckily, it was only a few seconds before I had him. I had been watching him. So, crisis averted, but it was silent. Often, we would have older kids who would overestimate their swimming abilities, especially if they were with their friends. They'd be playing just fine, maybe for a long time in an area where they can touch, but maybe they would sometimes get a little too deep and they couldn't stand on their toes anymore, and then silently, just like that, they are drowning. Even their friends right next to them might not realize what is happening. So lifeguards are trained to scan and to stay alert. And when we detect something, we call attention. We make the noise. We blow whistles. We jump in. We, we might even call out to this person. Hey, hey, are you okay? Hey, hey, are you okay? If they are, they say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But if they aren't, well, it's better to have misjudged and overreacted. Incidentally, this is also true for choking. Most people choke in silence. We tell, we tell people to, to make this, uh, this sign, this universal sign, but, but usually people don't have the, the wherewithal to, to do that. They're maybe embarrassed about the situation, or they're simply panicking, or they think it's going to come up on its own. So choking is also silent. See, the thing is, it's not always obvious when someone is in distress. Sure, I I want to help anyone who is in need of help know that they can just call out, make a scene, call for help. But often that's just not what happens. Often it is this way with suicide. After someone dies by suicide, Loved ones will search their memories for signs and, and clues. Were, were they calling out for help and, and I just didn't see? Were, were they splashing and, and, and waving and, and I just missed it? I know that I have gone back and listened to, to voicemails that were left, wondering, was, was there, were there signs, coded signs in there that I, that I just missed? But beloved, if there were signs there, they were simply too easily missed. And on top of that, the, most often the decision to take one's life is an impulse, and it is not planned for. Often the decision to die is made within the final hour of someone's life. That makes it difficult to react, to keep a, a person company, to get them help, to restrict lethal means that they have access to, to save their lives. But we, church, we can become like lifeguards for people in our lives who may find themselves in distress, which is why I thank you for joining me these last few weeks as we talk about a topic which is simply not discussed very often, a topic that is considered taboo, This month, September, is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and so that we are doing our part to bring awareness, to equip ourselves with the skills to be, in a sense, lifeguards and first responders. Now, while suicide can't be predicted, we can be a part of preventing it. We can call for light in the darkness, and that is what we are calling today's sermon, Call for Light. We, as people of faith, we we have faith and hope in Jesus Christ, who is with us in all things. But we also have this community of faith, people who are here to help those who are suffering get the help and the treatment that they need. Yesterday was actually National Physician Suicide Awareness Day. And it was announced yesterday that that doctors are killing themselves at a rate now higher than the national average. They're saying it's become an epidemic. And every day I I work with with sailors and Marines and for people in the military, that is also true, higher than the national average. In 2020, an estimated 1.2 million Americans attempted suicide and 46,000 Americans died by suicide. That's almost the entire population of Harrisburg who died by suicide in a single year. The rate of suicide is higher among middle-aged white men. In 2020, men died by suicide at 3.88 times higher rate than women. On average, there are 130 suicides per day. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among people 15 to 24. Those numbers are pretty staggering for something we don't talk about very often. We can't predict suicide, but we can be aware of the warning signs. If someone is under a, a great deal of stress in, that, that you know of. Do, do, does somebody say something like, it isn't worth it. I can't do anything right. I, I can't take it anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have nowhere to go. These are warning signs. Is there declining self-care? Are they withdrawing from things that they were once a part of? Giving up future plans and goals. Are they angrier than usual? Are they enacting reckless behavior? Are their mood changes? It never hurts to ask someone about how they are experiencing these things in their lives. And, and to be direct, to ask them, are you thinking about dying? It's all right to be direct. It's all right to, to ask about what kind of support are you getting in your life? And then to listen without judgment. You don't have to have the answers. You just have to listen. If they are thinking of suicide, to offer to help to get treatment. To to make the call with them, 988. Or to call 911. To drive them to the hospital. To don't leave them alone if they have expressed the desire to die. But do give them privacy. Privacy after they begin this process. Many people think that they have no other option, but we can call for light so that they may see that there are people who care and want them to be in the world, who will help them. Hey, hey, are, are you okay? Hey, hey, are you okay? There's no single cause for suicide But the the novelist David Foster Wallace described one way to think about suffering that so many people experience, and he himself experienced. He said, the person who tries to kill herself doesn't do so out of, quote, hopelessness or any abstract conviction that life's assets and debts do not square, and surely not because death seems suddenly appealing The person in whom its invisible agony reaches a certain unendurable level will kill herself the same way a person trapped will eventually jump from the window of a burning high-rise. Make no mistake about people who leap from burning buildings, their terror of falling from a great height is just as great as it would be for you or me standing speculatively, at the same window, just checking out the view. I.e., the fear of falling remains constant. The variable here is the other terror, the fire's flames. When the flames get close enough, falling to death becomes the slightly less terrible of two terrors. It's not desiring the fall, It's terrors of the flames. And yet nobody down on the sidewalk looking up and yelling, don't and hang on, can understand the jump. Not really. You have to have personally been trapped and felt the flames to really understand a terror way beyond falling. Sadly, David died by suicide. On September 12th, 2008, and the world is not better without him. He captures this internal terror someone may be suffering in silence. For many, it is not a desire to die, he tells us, but it is that it seems the less terrible of two terrors. But our hope as people of faith, of hope, of life, is to call for light light to reveal that there are more than two options. There is a path out of the flames of life, a path that leads to green pastures and beside still waters, a path of life. In the book of Acts, there is a story about Paul and his companion, Silas. It's printed there in the bulletin for you. I want to tell you the the way it begins is Paul and Silas are are out on a journey, and there is a woman, a young woman, who has a special gift of of fortune-telling, divination of sorts. And she is following these two, uh, Paul and Silas, and, and she is calling out to them over and over again, saying, uh, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And she does this for days until Paul gets so annoyed, he heals her of this spirit of divination. Now, this young woman was making her, she was a slave and she was making her owners a lot of money off of this special gift that she had. And so they became very angry with Paul and Silas for taking away this revenue stream. And so they have Paul and Silas arrested, and they are taken into captivity, and they are stripped of their clothes, and they are beaten. And then they are locked up in jail, chained to the wall, preparing for who knows what. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, And the prisoners were listening to them, their fellow prisoners listening to them. And suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were were opened and everyone's chains unfastened. When the jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. But the jailer called for lights. And rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he, he brought them outside and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and he set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so good Christian friends rejoice that this, what Paul and Silas do, this is our role in the world to be those who can stand in the dark places. Even though we may be scared, we do not fear for God is with us. We are to be ones like Paul and Silas, though beaten, naked, hurting, facing death, nonetheless show there is joy that is stronger than the pains of this life. And that fuels hope for others. That is what Paul and Silas, imprisoned and chained, nonetheless are are praying to God. And they are singing hymns to God. And they are inspiring their fellow prisoners they were calling for light in the darkness and their joy was contagious. Their hope prevailed and so did their God because the foundations of the prison shook, the doors were opened and everyone's chains unfastened. And sometimes this rescue from the prison or the building on fire or whatever it is that, that someone may feel trapped in, sometimes the rescue by God is so supernatural like this. But often it is very natural. It is a person, it is a people, who show up, who care, who pray, who sing hymns, who listen, who act, who help someone find a path out of whatever they are facing. God's care and compassion knows no bounds. For the person of faith who prays and, and sings to fight their situation like Paul and Silas. God's care and compassion, however, is for every single person. That prison guard even. Fearing the punishment that was to come or whatever shame or embarrassment or humiliation. He felt trapped. He felt there was no other way in this impulsive moment. He thinks he has to die. Until Paul shouts out in a loud voice, don't kill yourself. We are all here. And it's the jailer who calls for lights. And the light that came for him revealed that no one had escaped. It revealed for him that there was a path out of this situation that he was in. Paul's intervention prevented suicide because it revealed the situation wasn't as the jailer thought. Not only were all the prisoners there, but what Paul said carried an even greater weight. He said, we are all here. We are all here. That's what it's like for the person who's thinking about suicide, to, to really understand what's, we, what's what we want them to understand, that we are all here. We are here for you. We, we want you to stay here with us, to stay in this life with us, we are all here. If it's prison, we're all here with you. If your life feels like a building on fire, we are all here for you. If you think there isn't any other option, we are all here for you. And we want you, we beg you, stay here with us get better. Paul and Silas were out of prison. The jailer put away his sword. He took Paul and Silas home to meet his family. He cared for them. He fed them. All of his family became followers of the God of hope. God saved Paul and Silas with an earthquake that broke the chains supernaturally. And God saved the jailer because Paul called out strong, human voice, a word of hope. Don't. Stay with us. And they found a path together. You may be God's supernatural power to help someone stay alive. So call for light. Call for life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. have been listening to the Sermon Podcast from Christ Lutheran Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are honored you joined us. If you're in Harrisburg, we welcome you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030. To find out more about our church, as well as the free health services we offer, visit our website, ChristHarrisburg.org. Our theme music is by Lucian Kemper. I hope today's sermon blessed you, and you'll join us again. Until then... May God be with you.